This podcast is powered by the leading at the top of your game development experience. If you would like to work with Karen and the shockingly different leadership team to up-level the leadership execution acumen within your organization, visit developingyourgame.com to find out more. And helping them see a path forward in the organization. If you're doing that, helping them build their network that may be outside of the organization is it can only do um, great things for their career. It can it can give them someone to reach out to, to bounce ideas off of, to do some benchmarking. It's just it, it gives them a different perspective that oftentimes you don't have when you're only building your network internally. Welcome to the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast where we equipped you to more effectively lead your seat at any employer, business, or industry in which you choose to play. Each week, we help you sharpen your leadership acumen by cracking open the playbooks of dynamic leaders who are doing big things in their professional endeavors. And now your host, leadership tactics and organizational development expert, Karen Farrell-Rhodes. Hey superstars, this is Karen and welcome to today's episode. You know, every executive leader I know is dying to see the true potential of their staff and every employee I know is dying to show their brilliance at work. I'm a true believer that everyone has personal brilliance inside of them and whether it's being talented as an expert or being an amazing salesperson or maybe an incredible team player. We've all got a little dose of that secret sauce within us. The trick is coaxing it out of us in a way that enables and inspires us to perform at our best. And once we do, leaders feel empowered to serve their teams at the highest level and individual contributors feel confident in taking calculated risks to do their very best work. The problem is that most business people are not taught how to clearly or powerfully navigate workplace dynamics in order to bring out the best in both themselves and others. But luckily, Dr. Shanina Saxton and I have a little insight on this for you today. She is the Director of Talent and Culture at Focus Brands, and we have a really rich discussion on what organizations can do to both nurture the brilliance of their employees and provide a safe space for that brilliance to thrive, even in times of failure. So be sure to listen to her addition to our Leadership Execution Playbook and my closing segment called Karen's Take, where I share a tip on how to use insights from today's show to further sharpen your leadership acumen. And now, enjoy the show. Hello, listeners. Welcome to our current podcast episode. I am super elated to have our guest today. Her name is Dr. Shania, Shania I'm sorry, um, Saxton. And she has a long, long, illustrious history in the area of HR and talent development, and uh, we'll let her tell a little bit more about her story. But welcome, Dr. Shanana. We're, we're, we're so happy to have you. Thank you. I'm happy to be on the podcast, Karen. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, before we get started, uh, I would love for you to share with our listeners just a little bit about your 
uh, childhood story, a little bit of how you grew up. And then can you give us a little bit about some of your current professional endeavors? Absolutely. So I am originally from a small town in, I do mean small town, in <laughs> Southeast Georgia. Uh, I grew up in Matter, which is probably about, about two and a half, three, three hours east of Atlanta. So midway between, I tell people it's midway between Macon and Savannah. Um, that's the sweet spot. And growing up in a very small town, um, there were some some advantages. Um, you knew you you really had an opportunity to get to know everyone, uh, which means you were never stuck at softball practice without having a ride home if your parents couldn't pick you up. <laughs> But it also meant that if you did anything during the day at school that you didn't want your parents to know that was not happening. They knew my mom for most of my high school years, she worked for the county. And so everyone knew her. So I could not get away with anything but going to school and playing softball. That was it. Because the world's going to get back to mama, huh? Absolutely. The world was definitely going back to mom. So there there were no secrets growing up in a small town. But I would say if I think about that experience and growing up in a small town, I didn't have, um, there were not a lot of um, Black women who had careers outside of education that I could really um, use as a blueprint for what I wanted my career to look like. So I just assumed that I, I, I always knew I was going to go to college, but I thought I was going to be a teacher, right? And then yeah. once I once I got a little older, I said, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to go to law school. I want to be an attorney. Don't even know where that came from, but that just made sense. That's what I wanted to do. Fast forward, I, I went to undergrad at Georgia Southern, and I realized I didn't want to do any of those things. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but I knew I didn't want to be a teacher, and I did not want to go to law school. Um, I was in a HR course, and I remember my professor asking what was my major, and at the time, my major was marketing. And she said, well, what do you think about HR? I said, oh, no, I, I don't want to do this. That's dealing with people and problems. And that's <laughs> not my jam. <laughs> so I'm going to try this marketing thing because I think it's going to be fun. And she said, OK. And that was the end of that conversation. Um, but fast forward, I, I graduated from Georgia Southern with a with a, a BBA in um, in marketing, and really never used the the marketing degree. My um, my official first job, um, I worked for Bank of America, and uh, I transitioned into a call center into a, a learning and development role, and I haven't looked back since. Fascinating, fascinating. You know, I've had an opportunity in my career to work with call centers a bit uh, myself, and that is just a whole nother world of <laughs> when you talk about talent development, performance management, um, work pressures, uh, the whole dynamic. So there's a special angel for folks like you that uh, help guide uh, our, our companies or call centers around the country. So <laughs> fantastic. Awesome. Well, one of the things we wanted to really delve deeply on, and I know you're very passionate about, is around employees being able to really understand their brilliance, organizations um, providing the 
air cover space and grace for employees to be able to demonstrate that um, and how those whole dynamics work. So I'd love to hear some of your uh, thoughts around that and what have you seen work well and then not so well? Absolutely. I, I really think that organizations should create the system, create the culture, um, dismantle or deconstruct any of those systems that don't allow their em- people, their employees, that talent, if you will, to be what I like to say is brilliant out loud. I recall early in my career, I probably stifled my growth because I had these pretty good ideas, but I I wouldn't share them. I thought, well, I'm not the most senior person in the room, or maybe someone else has been on the team longer than I have, so I probably shouldn't say anything. And then someone else would share an idea, and it was very similar to uh, the thoughts that I didn't share and that I was holding in. And and so I, I think it's really important for the organizations to think about how do you do that? A part of it is around how you bring people into the organization, how you help them get to learn not only their role in their team, but get to know the organization across functions, across the, you know, the COEs, across the brands, however the organization is structured. I think that's so important. And that gives uh, your talent that level of comfort when they know the business that I think that gives people the foundation that they need to be able to then go out and share their ideas because they can make they can make the connection between here's what this function or here's what the organization does and here's what I do and here's how we kind of bring the two of those together. So what works well, making sure that people build relationships early, give them exposure to work outside of their their scope of responsibility, give people a safe space to fail fast, meaning don't put so much pressure on someone getting it right all the time. Instead, give them, as you said, give them some grace where the culture is, you're not going to always get it right. And we're okay because we know that that's where really great um, ideas emerge when maybe you don't get it right. We want you to learn from maybe some of those uh, initiatives that didn't go how you thought that they would. We want you to learn from that from those. And we're going to give you space to do that. Um, and I think if you can do that and embed the coaching and the feedback, I think that is really where you you can ignite that passion in people and, and, and give them that safe space that they need to try new things and, and think about their work in a way that they haven't before. And I think that's when innovation really happens. And you see those really great, bold ideas that we really want people to bring, but we have to create the space for them to do that. You know, you those are just fantastic nuggets. And you're so right, because, um, you know, I've seen it work well throughout my career in corporate and I've seen it fall flat on its face as well. And I don't know about you, but I, I have ser- observed that when there's not a culture of openness and, like you said, willingness to let individuals try and fail, but fail fast, um, if the leadership at all levels does not focus on providing that space, then employees just shut down, right? Because they're very observant of if they watch their colleagues trying to make a suggestion or do something and someone shuts it down, then they don't even raise their hands or they don't speak um, around that. 
But I, it's ironic that I, when I talk to executives, they always say, I want to see more out of my people. I want to know what we can do to improve. They're, you know, here doing this day in and day out. Then I hear employees say, I really want to bring a lot to the table. I want to show, um, you know, ideas that I have for improvement, but I can't understand me personally why we don't do or organizations don't do a better job of matching that need. The leaders want to see it. The employees want to do it. But for some reason, they're still hidden heads. Do you see that as well? Or have you in your experience? I have. I have seen it. And I think sometimes it, it we get so focused on that, which we should be, right? We should be focused on, okay, what's the result? What are we driving for? But sometimes I think we can get so laser focused on that um, that we re- we may revert back to the way that we've always done it because we know we're going to get the results. We revert back to those who we know can get the results that we want. And so we're not bringing the other people into the conversation, right? Maybe someone who's newer in the organization, or maybe they're not new in the organization, but they bring in a different perspective. We're not bringing them to the conversation. Um, And I think, Karen, it goes back to even sometimes some of our biases, right? We think we have a bias for uh, working with those who have similar ways of working or have similar ideas. I think that gets in our way a lot, more often than we are probably willing to share. And it's it's really important that we that as leaders that there's that level of self-awareness, right? When you understand, hey, I'm actually doing this. I'm not creating this space. I am I'm setting the strategy and then I'm also a little bit too into the details of the execution and my people can't do it and they feel like they have to do it the, the way that I want it done. No, I agree. I so agree. So um, I want us to pull back the layers of the onion just a little bit for our listeners. And what advice would you have for a people manager who is talking to one of their direct reports and their direct reports may be saying, I don't know what my brilliance is or what I bring to the table. Um, Do you have any coaching that the managers can say or do or questions that they can ask to help their employees really uncover um, their own personal brilliance or any thoughts around that by chance? I do have thoughts around that. I think everyone is at a different place. Someone may be at the discovery place where I need to discover what my brilliance is. And someone else may be um, more in the aspirational phase where I know where I, I know what I aspire to do. And I may need some support and guidance on how to get there. So it's important to meet everyone where they are. And a part of the discovery or a part of the coaching is really helping people understand what are the things that are that that you're passionate about as it relates to the work that you're doing and encouraging people to seek out um different experiences, work on different projects that maybe they haven't thought about before and actually seeing them through to the end. <laughs> um, and I say that because oftentimes you, you'll 
there may be a project or initiative that someone is working on. And maybe a piece or pieces of the work may not be exactly what someone had in mind, but it may be it's very foundational. So once we get through the foundational pieces of this, this is where the real fun, the real ideation and the real innovation happens. So really coaching people to see it through to the end, I think is important. But it's all about what do you want it? Well, I guess if you don't know what you want to do, that's a tough question to, to put out there. But what are some of the things that you that you like to do? Right? What are some of those parts of the business that fascinate you and that you want to know more about? So it could be whether it's doing a job shadow. It could be um, even doing maybe a gig, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um and another part of the another part of the organization where you have a very specific expertise that you can bring to this project, and you do that, but it gives you exposure to a different part of the business. So I think all of those are things that you can help people do. Um, have those informational interviews with others in the organization, and also building their network outside of the organization. Can you industry. say that one more time? Because that's worth repeating. <laughs> building your network or building their network outside of the organization. It could be within the industry or even outside of the industry. And sometimes some leaders are hesitant to do that because they know their talent is great. And then they feel like someone else is going to poach their talent and Sure, that could happen, right? Right. But that's that's the likelihood of that happening. It's probably going to be contingent upon what well, are you developing them and helping them grow, and and helping them see a path forward in the organization. If you're doing that, helping them build their network it, that may be outside of the organization is it can only do um, great things for their career. It can it can give them someone to reach out to, to bounce ideas off of, to do some benchmarking. It's just, it, it gives them a different perspective that oftentimes you don't have when you're only building your network internally. You're so correct. You're so great. And I've found that a lot of individuals get so comfortable within their current um, employer or company, if they own their own company, that they miss um, the external network as well. Um, Because you're right, it brings so much additional learnings and perspectives, as well as opens potentially future doors for new opportunities down the road. So uh, that is extremely, extremely important. Um, One other thing I wanted to delve into you were talking about how to help individuals truly understand their brilliance if they didn't um, under, um, know it up front. But I've also found um, it helpful to have individuals reflect back on, say, their work for the last three to six months and identify experiences and the learnings that they've gained um, and how they shine during that. When they Um, A lot of times brilliance can be uh, brought to the surface for individuals um, with reflection. And to your point, you had some great questions on asking them, you know, what did you enjoy? What would you love to do more of um, for almost free? You know, um, where were your passions? How did you impact um, that made you feel good? Those types of um, reflection experiences can also be valuable as well. Um, Yeah. 
Definitely, definitely. Fantastic. So I'm curious, um, in your opinion, what, well, let me start with this question first. What were some of the traits, think about some of the leaders that impressed you. It could be in your work history or it can be external people, but what were some of the characteristics that impressed you for great leaders? Absolutely. I think the leaders that I've experienced in my career who really made a meaningful impact, their their level of emotional intelligence and self-awareness um, was almost unmatched. That is, that's one of the things that I think I've seen in really great leaders. They seek out ideas from others um, and they rely on their teams to leverage their expertise in a way that allows them to allows them to shine. And it, it goes back to the failing fast, I think, too. They create a space where their people feel comfortable uh, trying new ideas. I would also say leaders, a leader or leaders that I think have just made a lasting impression. Um, one of the things that really stands out they can hold their own too. They can hold <laughs> yeah. their own, um, but still maintain relationships. And they can do it in a way that's respectful and they still garner respect. And they can really hold their own and they can influence and they will go to bat for what's right, whether it's for their team or if it's the right decision for the business. They will, they can go to bat for that, but still they're being respectful and they're bringing other people along and helping them see the vision along the way. They're almost like the total package of a great leader, right? <laughs> With all of this <laughs> they're dynamic. A <laughs> <laughs> they're a little scrappy too, I would say. <laughs> and I'm just curious for you. I know um, you have held many leadership roles um, and had many leadership experiences. How do you, you stay on top of your game. What what do you do to help um, be the best leader that you can be? I surround myself with people who know more than I do. <laughs> Very smart. <laughs> I try to too. <laughs> I surround myself with people who know more than I do. Um, on my team, I don't try to be the SME about everything. I've done a lot of things in my career. I've had experience in learning. I've had experience in leadership development, DE and I. But what I what I will tell my what I will share with someone is I've done a lot of things over my career. Some of the things that I've done is dated and my ideas may not be as fresh. So I want a fresh perspective. So that, that's one of the things that I do. I always look to have a, a strong external network so I can reach out to others, uh, not just to benchmark, but to help me kind of give me a reality check too, to make sure that I'm not getting in my own way. I, I'm going to ask for, for feedback, um, whether it's from a leader, whether it's from my team, whether it's from peers, even friends. I'll say I'll call in a friend and, and walk them through maybe something I'm grappling with at work. And then I'll say, OK, 
you know, put me in check. Am I am I on the right track? And I'm really open to that different perspective, even though I, I like my ideas. <laughs> oh, we <laughs> all do, right? <laughs> I like my ideas. Because they're brilliant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't you know they're brilliant? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I like them, but oftentimes I, I, I have enough humility to know that maybe my ideas are not, it's not the right time for them, or maybe it's just not the right solution. And I think that really helps me to um, not only just maintain a level of humility, but also bring out the best in others too. I think I, I think that's really important. Saying I don't know it all, um, but I bet you I bet you know something that I don't know, and I and I want to hear that idea. It's Oftentimes, I think it's so easy to just take something and run with it because we've done it before and we know how to get it done. But that's such a disservice to others who are still learning and growing in their careers. Like, have a little patience. Pause, take a time out and have some patience for someone else to take a pass. I love that. And I know it's hard and difficult sometimes, especially when we're in a results-driven society. But taking that pause is so critical. It's very critical. Exactly. And being okay with 80, you know, 80% sometimes is is good enough. Yeah, it is. Sometimes that's good enough. It doesn't have to be great. And it definitely doesn't have to be the way that Shania wants to do it. Um, right. It doesn't have to be because that may not be the right way or the best way. It's just one of the ways that we one might. One of the ways. That's right. I, one of my friends was teasing me um, a couple weeks ago and she said, you know, Karen, your C game is probably other people's A plus game, right? Um, that In comparison, like what you bring to the table, um, you know, and you really want perfection and what have you, um, a lot of people would be happy with, you know, just a little bit less and they'll think it's fabulous. So that's a hard lesson for me, you know, to learn because I just want to bring the best at all times, but sometimes you're not able to do so. But um, if you're very thoughtful and planful about what you are wanting to do, your, your natural desire for excellent and results will just come out. You know, sometimes. Absolutely. I have worked in some really complex industries and in and, and, and complex organizations. And one of the things that I have to be mindful of is some, it's okay to keep things simple sometimes. You don't, you don't have to over-engineer everything because that is when you really struggle to get the buy-in, when you make things so complicated. Whether it's a performance management system, it doesn't, you know, bells and whistles are nice, but if no one is going to use them or people don't understand how to use it and you have performance ratings that people don't understand and, oh, we have to wait things. And, and sometimes maybe you do wait some some goals higher than others, but you have to really figure out where is the organization? What does the organization have an appetite for? And sometimes keeping things simple is the right approach because you the adoption rate will be so much higher. Love that. That's my nugget right there. <laughs> I'm taking it home with me. <laughs> um, oh, so another question for you. I, as you know, I wrote a book on um, leadership execution, and I would love your opinion of the, you know, the seven tactics that most successful leaders use in some way, shape, or form at any point in time. Was there one out of the seven that resonated with you a little bit? And if so, which one? 
Absolutely. Intellectual horsepower resonated with me a lot. And I think it goes back to bringing your brilliance to the table at all times. You're in your role for a reason. You have a certain level of expertise that you bring. And I think as leaders, no matter where you are in your career, even if you're early in your career or you're a leader, remembering there's a certain expertise that you bring, a certain intellectual horsepower that you bring to to the team, to the organization. And so leveraging that to, to be able to look ahead and understand this is where the business is going or this is what our, our talent data is telling us and being able to go back to the business and having some really healthy conversations. We really need to be focusing on turnover. For the last 18 months, turnover has been continuously going up. There's been an uptick. So this is something that we need to work on. Here is what some of our other data is telling us, whether it's our engagement survey, exit interviews, or wherever else we may be pulling insights from, this is something we need to address And here are a few ways that we might be able to do that. And I think as leaders, you have to always remember to, to, to bring that horsepower with you. You're in, you're in your seat for a reason and people are looking to you to help make some really impactful recommendations to drive the business forward. Love that. Absolutely love that. All right. Well, we're going to open with our close, I'm sorry, with our final segment. It's called Full Disclosure, and I promise you there won't be any gotcha questions. Love it. But I would love uh, for you to share just a little bit on a personal level uh, with our audience. And my first question to you is, how do you love to decompress and relax? How do I love to decompress and relax? I like going for long walks. Um, most days I'll, most, most days I'll, I'll kick off the, the morning with the walk. The gym may or may not happen. Yeah, <laughs> too. But I'm, I'm a walker myself. I hear you. The walk will happen, will definitely happen. And that, that's so important for me because it, it's my time. It's my time. You know, it's my 45 minutes, my hour to myself to think about my day, to reflect maybe on some things that didn't go as well as I wanted them to, to go. And, okay, what did I learn from that? And what can I do differently? It's my time to think about, okay, what are the two or three things that I am going to accomplish by the end of the day or by the end of the week? And then just from a, you know, just from a health perspective, I think getting those steps in is important as well. It is very much so. <clears throat> We're two peas in a pod on that in that respect. <laughs> So can you tell me one song that would be on your music playlist? I can. It's actually uh, my high school's, or my school, not just my high school, my school's fight song. It's an older song, but it's I Am the Tiger. I Am the Tiger? I Am the Tiger is my school. Oh my goodness. Yes. (laughs) I Am the Tiger is my school's uh, fight song. And um, so that has been on my playlist since I can remember um, from, I guess it was our fight song since like the 80s, I guess. Um, And I grew up in the 80s, early 90s. (laughs) So that is always going to be on my playlist. Oh my gosh. The reason why I'm laughing is because a couple of episodes ago, um, one of the guests that was there 
song, one of their songs on their playlist. And then, you know, my uh, last big role in corporate America before starting uh, my own firm, uh, I worked with Microsoft and that was one of our theme songs at the company too at the time. So I, the tiger, I think uh, we single-handedly made it number one (laughs) between our networks. (laughs) That's so funny. So can you tell me um, one of your pet peeves? It can be anything. What are my pet peeves? One, um, just one. One. Not letting someone finish their thought or idea. I That is a huge pet peeve. Interrupting and talking. And, and I know we all do it. I'm guilty of it too. But I try to be so mindful of it. Because oftentimes what it tells someone, especially in the work environment, is I'm not really interested in hearing what you have to say. That's right. And I know sometimes we get so excited and we have questions and I I can give you a pass there. But if the interruption is not intentional, uh, meaning that you're just finishing someone's thought or you're taking the conversation in a different direction, that that frustrates me a little bit because I want to know what you have to say. I want to hear your ideas. And I think what that can do over time is really cause people to shut down and to just stop sharing. Absolutely. You're so right. All right. Two last questions and then we'll wrap up. Uh, The the first one is, um, well, let's see. I have so many in my mind. Um, You know what? I'm going to do another fun one. What is your favorite um, beverage of choice? And it can be a cocktail or a non-alcoholic drink. That is easy. I'm a Starbucks gal. Are you? (laughs) Are you VIP? Well, I am. I'm there there literally when they open at 530, 6 o'clock every morning. I live across the street from Starbucks. Uh I live so close that I could walk. I don't. (laughs) I don't walk over. I probably should. I'm really trying to reduce my consumption back to just one grande a day. Um, How's that going for you? It's not going well. Before before we kicked off the podcast, I was I was waiting in line. The line was long out into the street almost. I'm okay. I'm gonna wait. I have an hour before to be on the queue, and I can wait. So you can wait. I, I can wait. We're we're still working on it, um, but that is definitely my beverage of choice. Like night with extra extra half and half steamed. Extra, extra. Okay. Half and half. Gotcha. All right. And so the last question, I'm actually going to turn the tables on me. What is one question that you'd like to ask me? You'll get to um, return the favor for your gift of time today. Absolutely. (laughs) What is it if you, and I know you've been in this space for many years and you have such great expertise and you've had an opportunity to to work with, with some really great organizations. What is the one thing you wish you knew when you started your career? Oh, wow. That's a fantastic question. I wish I knew, and it's kind of on the theme of what we've been talking today, but I wish I knew that even the senior executives are insecure too. When I rose to the ranks and became a confidant of them, 
that was what really hit me was I thought they had it all figured out when I was first coming into the workforce out of school. Uh, they had the fancy titles and, you know, they were being renowned in their industries and they were speaking on panels and conferences and they seemed so confident in front of uh, the employee population. Um, and I'm not saying that they all aren't, but it was very eye-opening to know that they are human too, that they have insecurities and and always um, would be open to even better suggestions than their current thinking. Because one of their biggest fears, as I learned, is that they had a fear of failing because their failure was on a broader scale and impacted a whole lot more employees and potentially jobs. So to your point about giving a little space for fear of failing, they really had a fear of failing um, for a number of reasons. So I guess to sum it up is that the C-suite are human too. <laughs> absolutely. I would absolutely agree. And I think sometimes too, if I you know go back, I think that fear of failing and not being brilliant out loud for a fear of maybe not getting it right kind of goes back a little bit to childhood and how I grew up. I was, you were rewarded for getting all A's. I remember yes. my report card home and my dad said, hey, you get $5 for every A. I was like, he just doesn't know. This kid is smart. I'm going to yeah. have <laughs> All the A's, and he's going to be coming out of his pocket with like forty or fifty dollars. But if that's, that's right, if that's what he wants to do, I'm not going to stop him. No, but definitely that's not. That's what we were rewarded for: getting it right and being high that's performers. Right. And I think sometimes that, in retrospect, might have stifled my growth a little bit because I was always rewarded for getting it right, getting the A's, and mm-hmm. not getting an A meant I didn't get the five dollars for the A, and I wanted the five dollars for the, for the A's. Absolutely. So at least that was my experience. So I just wonder if that is, you know, oftentimes with with leaders as well, other leaders is because we've we've been rewarded and that's how our performance is measured. And that's how we, you know, grew in our careers by getting it right, if you will. That's right. That's right. And we act in the way that we're incentivized. And in that way, it was a little bit of money, but it was also the father's love and his probably being so proud of you for getting the fantastic scores. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So um, Dr. Shanina, thank you so much for your time today. You have been an absolute dream. We have tons of information for our leadership playbook and listeners. uh, All of these tips will be in the show notes. But so come on back for our next episode next week to add additional items to your leadership playbook. Thanks so much and have a great one. Bye. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today with Dr. Shanina Saxton, who's the Director of Talent and Culture at Focus Brands. Links to her bio, her entry into our leadership playbook, and additional resources can be found in the show notes, both on your favorite podcast platform and at leadyourgamepodcast.com. Now for the segment called Karen's Take. Today, I want to share two quick thoughts around the topic of brilliance. The first I wanted to share is uh, the ultimate subject matter expert on the topic of brilliance, in my opinion anyway. It's uh, Simon T. Bailey. 
He's my number one go-to on the topic uh, in of brilliance in the world of work. And he's world-renowned as a speaker and as a former Disney exec, who's actually the author of a series of books on brilliance, including the titles, Release Your Brilliance, Shift Your Brilliance, and Brilliant Living. I'll have a ton of information about him in the show notes, but definitely take a note to check him out. The second thought I had I wanted to share with you today is I want to encourage you to establish a no hoarding zone. This is what I call it, a no hoarding zone. And so you're probably wondering, what in the heck is that? Well, have you ever heard the phrase iron sharpens iron? Well, we researchers in leadership development know that high performers develop more quickly when collaborating with other high performers. And an environment of hoarding information or hoarding influence or ideas is not only toxic for the workplace, but it also stifles the brilliance of your teams. So I personally recommend that employers should infuse the concept of a no hoarding zone into their company values in order to help foster a culture which welcomes great ideas, innovation, and process improvements. Do this and I'll bet you'll see a high return on investment. So if you enjoyed this topic, there's more on developing stronger leadership acumen that can be found on our website, shockinglydifferent.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast, where we help you lead your seat at any employer, business, or industry in which you choose to play. You can check out the show notes, additional episodes, bonus resources, and also submit guest recommendations on our website at leadyourgamepodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn by searching for the name Karen Rhodes, with Karen being spelled K-A-R-A-N. And if you like the show, the greatest gift you can give would be to subscribe and leave a rating on your podcast platform of choice. This podcast has been a production of Shockingly Different Leadership, a global consultancy which helps organizations execute their people, talent development, and organizational effectiveness initiatives on an on-demand project or contract basis. Huge thanks to our production and editing team for a job well done. Goodbye for now.